You kind of wanted to clap. It is okay to do that. Yeah, we're in this last of the messages on um, Psalm 23, and we're in this last verse. So I'm excited to be able to share that with you and to uh, take time to go through that. I don't know if um, you have had those occasions in your life where you've heard a song and you've actually confused the words to the song. Anybody ever done that at all? Uh, I have. I remember when my brother, in, I had an older brother, two years older, and brothers aren't really necessarily nice to one another. Yeah, I don't know if you know that, but that happens where they can be really tough on you. And he, he at one point said, what in the world are you singing? I'm singing Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight. And he goes, Captain, it's after midnight. We took our daughters once to one of those shows on ice with the Olympic stars, and this was a number of years ago. Christy Yamaguchi, you may remember that name. She was performing with lights on her, and they all had boots on their skates, and they're skating around with these boots, and they're singing this song. The song that's playing is, These boots are made for walking. And my little six-year-old turns to my wife in shock and horror and says, Are they saying these boobs are made for walking? Now, I have no idea what that means, and I, he was really hesitant to even share that, but I just, I just thought, like, people mess up words. <laughs> Happens all the time. In fact, the monkeys had a song they called, I'm a Believer. Then I saw her face, now I'm a believer, which is one of the most confused lines. You know what it is? It's, then I saw her face, and now I'm going to leave her, <laughs> which, that's probably not the kind of song that she's going to like. Or there's the um, mother who heard her daughter singing one time after church. This is a number of years ago. They were singing a, a hymn, um, Gladly the Cross I Bear. Anybody remember that? Gladly the Cross I Bear. She's singing away, and she her mouth says, what are you singing? She says, you know, the hymn from church. And she goes, well, what is it? And she said, Gladly the Cross-Eyed Bear, which she thought was a really great song. I'm going to ask you to stand because um, as we read this scripture, we're going to read it for the last time. We've been reading through it. I almost want to ask, could you memorize it and just say it? But I used to hear this psalm and I'd get to these last verses and, the, and they would say this. Anybody say, surely goodness and mercy, right? And I, I had an aunt Shirley and I was a little kid and they would say this and surely goodness. And I kept thinking, why is Shirley's name in there? I'm serious, and so I have to pause when I say this, and I go, surely, pause, goodness and mercy will follow me all days of my life. Let's say these verses together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy. Wait a second, right? Surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you smiling when you finish that? 
And, and we will dwell, those who know this shepherd, in the house of the Lord forever. He promises to hem us in. I just was so moved when I was reading this, and I didn't read it from a commentary, from just praying and reading through this this summer, preparing for this series. When he just says, the Savior, our shepherd, he's over us, he's above us, and he is before us as he guides us and leads us into these pastures, into paths of righteousness. And, and then we come into this deep, dark valley and he's beside us. He's actually holding us. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This idea that he supports us. He's beneath us. And then today, he is behind us. He follows us. We are hemmed in by the presence of God. Father, I pray that you would allow for us to live. I I want to live this way. I want to fear no evil. And I know people are here saying, God, we want to live fearing no evil, knowing that you love us and you care for us. And doesn't mean there aren't times where you allow us to be touched in pain because in that there's redemption. Jesus, you did that for us. You, you suffered and you died and even cried at one time. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And yet your, your father's presence was with you even in that. For that moment, you, We're separated from him for our sake so that we would never be separated. We give you thanks that we are hemmed in. We are hemmed in. We are hemmed in by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Psalm ends with this line that he will follow you all the days of your life. It's the idea that God has got your back. If I was going to say and sum up this little verse that we come to at the very end of this scripture, in verse 6, it's that God has got your back. Isn't that a good thing to know? That the place that you can be most vulnerable, that you probably aren't able to see, except for parents who can see all around them, right, you know? But God has your back. He has your back no matter what. These are three things we're going to look at. No matter what, no matter when, and no matter where. And they come out of these little verses, verse that we're looking at. God has your back no matter what. It's the promise of God. The chief shepherd promises to have your back no matter what. Goodness and mercy will follow you. And there's no condition he puts on that. He just says, I'm going to have your back. You're running away from him. He says, I'm still here. I have your back. You're turning away from me. You still experience the blessings of God. You still experience the sunshine. You still experience things. And God is still following you. He has your back no matter what. Whether you blow it, you get lost, you knowingly mess up, you intentionally do wrong, you break your promise. Maybe you get hit by life's hurricane. God's promise is to follow behind you with goodness and mercy. He's behind you wanting for you to acknowledge your need. He just is waiting for you to come to a point where you admit and you say, hey, you know what, God, I have a need. And he's behind you with goodness. 
He's waiting for you to come to a place where you go, you know what, I've blown it, I've failed. And you're kind of on your knees and he comes around you and he catches up and he surrounds you with mercy. Giving you more than what you deserve in the sense he's giving you his presence and his love. Some commentators believe there is a movement of analogies in the Psalm 23, that it begins with this idea that he's a shepherd, and it carries on this whole shepherd theme as they go through the valley. But when they go through the valley, it changes to this idea of a host. You prepare a table before me, which is more the idea of a host, giving you this picture of the suzerain superior king who comes and invites an inferior, what they call vassal king, into his presence where they take a meal and in this meal they kind of sign an agreement that he will watch over him and care for him and his enemies in the territories around are looking on and they're just going, I can't believe it. We can't mess with this guy any longer. Because if we do... We know what could happen. And then it says in verse 6, it moves to the analogy of one who is a savior. Some see this as a personification of a savior who is full of goodness and mercy. And it points to one that we might know, as you see in scripture, the savior Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus himself was aware of this. David promised in his prophecies, as you read through the Psalms, he was quite aware that there would be a greater one to come. He thought possibly it was his son, but I think he probably realized at some point that Solomon wasn't, that Solomon would build this great temple for God, which David himself wanted to build. But he knew that at some day there would be the Savior that would come, and the Savior would come with goodness and mercy. And just like David in his day, who was able to extend his kingdom farther than it had ever been extended before in the Middle East, this king would now come, this Savior would come and extend his kingdom throughout the entire universe. And one of his descendants, David knew, would someday be this good and merciful king, bringing a universal kingdom. And so it's not a far stretch to see who is this descendant king of goodness and mercy. In fact, if you read John chapter 10, you'll see in John chapter 10 um, who this king is. Jesus himself identifies that he is this king as he looks out at the people in John chapter 10. And he says in these verses, beginning there's a, through the whole John 10 is about the gate and the shepherd. But at a certain point in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The one that David was talking about that was prophesied by him and prophesied by Isaiah and prophesied by Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel at one time, if you go through it, he's pretty graphic, talks about these shepherds who had no goodness and they had no mercy. That All they were doing was fleecing their own people. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, here's what a good shepherd does. Lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it because they're not into it for the sheep's sake. They're just into it for their own sake. When the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But verse 14, I am the good shepherd I know my sheep. This is an important line. And my sheep know me. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also, but they too, listen, will listen to my voice. 
and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus was this good shepherd who had people's back no matter what, no matter how lost, no matter how they failed, how many times they'd fallen away, no matter how much they had messed up their life or whether through it was through their own choice or not. Jesus came to those who were abused and used and discarded. He came to those who were marginalized. He came to those who didn't belong or didn't feel they fit. He came to those who didn't feel they could measure up because he had their back no matter what. Think about it. This Jesus came to a whole group of people and the people that surrounded himself were the people who were ill and sick and the ones who had been marginalized by their faith. They were the people who had, had become traitors, who realized by the very life that they had lived, they had gotten themselves to a place that they just would never measure up in the faith that was being modeled by all the Pharisees and others around him. And Jesus, you know what the charge of Jesus that they would often accuse Jesus of? He welcomes. He welcomes sinners. I mean, like unbelievable. This good shepherd Jesus, he here's the other charge. He was a friend of sinners. Because when he called out the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God and that God loved you no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, people who long for God hear his voice. They hear the, 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 the timber of his voice. They can tell by the quality that it reaches into their heart and they they just go, I hear. They don't hear a preacher. They don't read just a word in a book, in a Bible. They hear the very voice of God resonating in their heart and they go, I want, I want to know this shepherd. I saw this YouTube video and I think it's kind of a, it's an interesting video. If you've never seen a shepherd call out sheep that are scattered, Watch this. Some of them are way back there. They hear his voice and they're not thinking, oh, he's going to kill, you know, he's out to get me. He's going to, he's going to somehow make me pay for all this stuff. They just hear this voice and they go, I know that shepherd. I know that voice. That shepherd feeds me and guides me and cares for me and really loves me no matter how far away I am. I hear that voice. Because God's got your back no matter what. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow you. But he's got your back no matter when. It's not only his promise that he's got it no matter what, but no matter when. His promise doesn't merely cover our past failures and even the failure that you may do today. It covers your failure even in the future. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Anybody remember those next words? What are they? All the days of my life. I was reading the Atlantic. I, I, I like to read online papers every once in a while. I was reading the Atlantic and, and all of a sudden pops up as I'm reading this article. I really liked the article. I have a couple, you know, a page or so into it. And you know how annoying it is when things pop up and all of a sudden it pops up and goes, you have five more free opportunities or whatever it was. I think it was five more free articles, I think it was. Now I had gone, oh man, I kind of... Can you imagine your life? You're going along and, and, and you blow it and, and you hear and you hear the voice of God and you turn and all of a sudden he goes, you've got five more free. 
opportunities to come back to me. He has her back no matter when, past, present, and into the future, all the days of her life. Hebrews 13, 8 is a verse that is a great verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because your confidence in this shepherd is that he is a God who has a character that does not change. Jesus will be good and merciful. It rests not on you. Isn't that great? It doesn't rest on who you are about your character or anything like that. It rests solely on his character. He basically says, if you blow it and you mess up, here's the thing. As long as you keep blowing it, come back to me. Every time you keep coming back to me, you keep coming back to me. What you may not realize, you think, like, boy, you keep going like I'm going like this. But the reality is every time you come back to him, you're going like this. And you're moving forward with him. He's doing something in your heart. He may actually be bringing you to a place where you're sick of that sin and you go, I, I, God, I'm desperate that I will do whatever it takes. Even if it meant in a situation I'm going to get in an AA group or I'm going to go in for counseling. I'm going to, I'm going to do something to care for this. I'm going to begin to read your word about what this has to say. I am going to continue to blow it, but the good truth is this, that no matter what, he has your back no matter when. Into the future, he has your back because it's not based on you. I praise God. It's not based on us. All the days of your life, Jesus will follow you with goodness and mercy. I love again that word, surely, right? Remember? Surely. Pause. It's the first part of the very sentence. It's the beginning of the sentence. Surely. And and I looked it up this week because I thought, man, I've thought about that word. I've got an idea what it means. But it means firmly, unerringly, without missing, slipping, undoubtedly, certainly, inevitably, and without fail. So that's probably how we should read that in the future. Surely, not right into goodness, surely, firmly, unerringly, without missing, slipping, undoubtedly, certainly, inevitably, without fail, goodness and mercy will follow me. All Surely, all those words... And it ends with all the days of my life. I think the shepherd's trying to tell us something here. You can count on his character. No matter when. And God's got your back no matter where. If you notice the word follow, we, we way too easily pass that word by. Because we don't really fully understand it. And and that's not all our own fault. It's somewhat the fault of the fact that we don't understand how that word is translated and what it fully means in the Hebrew language. It really means to pursue. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue you. Think of the old westerns. Anybody ever watch an old western where you kind of see and the bank robber goes in and, and they do stuff and they shoot them up and everything else and people are in shock and, and they go away and they get on their horses, three or four of them ride away, usually on black horses, right? And, and then you see the sheriff come out on this big white, you know, stallion of a horse and he gathers a posse around them and they, they don't just follow, right? Come on guys, let's follow them. Come on, guys, let's pursue them. There's that sense of pursuit. And, and, and David uses that word, I think, purposely because he had experienced that in his life. He knew what it meant. 
is all too familiar with them. David had at one point killed Goliath, and as he killed Goliath, he was making his way up in, in promotions in the kingdom, and, and he was battling others, and he continued to, to defeat the enemy, and he was battling so well that King Saul, who was the king, who was the one really responsible for giving him these promotions, begins to get jealous. Because there's a line that's being said, and it's being sung by women. You catch that? It's being said, and it says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. Now, how do you think Saul feels? Guys are pretty petty. He's jealous. He begins to follow David. He begins to pursue David. So much so that at one point in First Samuel, it's kind of interesting. It says they were going around this kind of mountain hill. Because in, in Israel, in some of those places, they're not like huge mountains. They're kind of like these hillish kind of mountains. And, and it says that, that Saul and his men were on one side and David and his men were on the other. And it's like, you know, ever chase someone around a table? It's like they're going around the circles on the table. I, could, I just, it would be a great movie, you know, going around like this. And finally, I forget what it is. I think Saul gets pulled away and, and David gets free. I think he understood the word pursuit. It was the idea that Saul was hot on his heels. It actually indicates the idea that something that is hot on your heels about to overtake you is what this means. Where you run, they run. Where you turn, they turn. When you zig, they zig. When you zag, they zag. Wherever you go, they go. Through a tunnel, in a cave, into a swamp, down a hill, up a hill, under a fence, over a wall. They just follow you and go after you. They pursue you in order to overtake you. And David is saying as he concludes this psalm, as he goes through all of this and talks about this God who is over him, is sovereign, and, and is looking for him and is before him and, and guiding him in these paths and he's beside him in his darkest valley and he also sees him when he's preparing this table in, in the midst of his enemies supporting him underneath him be, beneath him even in the midst of the things that could harm him and then he's pursuing him to overtake him with goodness and mercy not just today but all the days of his life So this morning, I, I just have to tell you, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but it's no mistake you're here because it's just another evidence of the fact that God is pursuing you. He wants to overtake you, not to harm you, not to hurt you, not to make your life miserable. He's not trying to send you to Africa, although you may go. Who knows? But he's here because he pursues you because he wants to meet your deepest need with his goodness He wants you to experience his mercy because he knows that you're not perfect. He knows that you can't on your own measure up. He's done it for you. It's not just a coincidence that you've been blessed maybe with the job that you've been given or that you've developed the friendship that you've developed or that you have maybe even a family member who's been attending here. It's God. Because he's hot on your heels to overtake you with goodness and mercy. On September 28, 2018, there was a 7.5 magnitude earthquake that hit Palu, Indonesia. Remember that? Not long ago. It took hundreds of lives, leaving thousands, in fact, leaving considerable damage to the entire region. 
And the death toll just continued to rise. And in the midst of this tragedy, a story emerged from an airline pilot who was in that area. He testified to a miracle that saved his life and his passenger's life. He had said he had actually heard the audible voice of God. Captain Rescasetta Mafella of Batik Air. That's a mouthful. Anyway. His captain, Mafella of Batik Air, revealed why this plane took off three minutes earlier than it had been scheduled from Palu Airport. According to the reports from where he stood in front of a congregation and shared this story, Captain Mafella had been in Jakarta in front of the congregation telling them that he had been uneasy all day long. He just had this uneasiness. He, he felt so disturbed and, and bothered that he, in the flight over to that um, airport, he began to sing worship songs the whole flight from Yuzhong Padana to Palau. His Muslim co-pilot kind of joked with him at one point and said, you could make a CD of worship songs. Usually I only hum, but that day I wanted to praise the Lord as best I could. I felt I needed to, he said. And when they arrived in the skies above Palu Airport, he heard a voice in his heart telling him to circle again before landing. So he circled before landing. And the airport is surrounded by two mountain ranges. Pilots call airports like that um, valleys of death. It's positioned in such a way that you have to be really extra careful, he says, in landing the plane. For this reason, he was reminded of Psalm 23, verse 4. And he said that even though I walk the valley of the shadow of the deepest, darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, you're on your staff, they comfort me. And so he kind of had that in his head as he was landing the plane. They safely landed at Palu Airport, but he still had this nagging feeling that he needed to hurry. So he encouraged the crew to take a quick break, but to get back to the plane, which they did. And he felt an urgency that they should all get inside, get everything ready. And he requested to the tower that he could leave three minutes early. Didn't even know why. He just had this voice that said, you kind of get going, basically. And so after the air controller from the control tower, his name is Antonius Gunawan Agung, granted him clearance for an early takeoff. The pilot immediately set the pace, and he actually confessed later that he broke flight procedures just to speed up the plane's takeoff process. He wondered why he felt this urgency in his heart, but he kept his hand on the lever and guided the plane as he's guiding it down the runway. His co-pilot looked at him fearfully when the plane's body swayed to the left and then over to the right, as they were seconds from lifting off the ground. Right then, unbeknownst to them, as their plane and the wheels were beginning to lift off the ground, an earthquake had hit Palu. He tried to communicate with the control tower with the same person, but he didn't even know at that point that he had died and the tower had collapsed. He had no response from the control tower. He looked down and was shocked as they were leaving. Because here's this mountain range and right over the ocean. As he was leaving, he looked down and he saw this peculiar phenomenon. Something he'd never seen before. The seawater on the coast was forming a huge hole. And he could actually see down to the foundation of the seabed. And when the plane arrived at Yuzhong Padang, he heard the news that an earthquake of devastating magnitude had unleashed a tsunami that had hit Palu. And he learned later that this flight official on the control tower had died right as he was taking off. 
And Captain Mafella emphasized as he told this story before a congregation how crucial it is to be sensitive to the voice of God. He shared that if he hadn't taken off three minutes earlier and that he and the 440 passengers would have been killed because the landing strip was actually, they said, moving up and down like a curtain being blown in the wind. As he concluded his testimony, he shared this vital lesson. He said, whatever happens in your life, we've been talking about living without fear, whatever happens in your life, remain calm, avoid panic, so that you can clearly hear God's instructions through his Holy Spirit. I I think as we kind of come to this psalm, it's kind of what he's saying in a sense. This God who has your back no matter what, no matter when, no matter where. Surely goodness and mercy, they will pursue you to overtake you all the days of your life. And, And then he concludes with these words. What are they? And I, let's say them together, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And then he adds, just don't forget, he adds, forever. This God wants to commune with you now. He wants you to hear his voice now. He wants you to pay attention to his voice now. He wants you to live in a way, and none of us do this well. I don't do this well. Fear overtakes me at times, and God still pursues me. He comes behind me and goes, that's all right, you blew it. He wants you to live in such a way that you go, God, no matter what is going on right now in my life, no matter what is going on right now in my life, you want to commune with me. You want me to hear your spirit. You want me to know that I'm hemmed in by your love. You want me to know that even if I'm going to the deepest and darkest valley, that you are right beside me. I don't feel you. I don't experience you in any way. But as I walk, I'm going to live in faith. I'm going to trust this truth that my relationship with you is not based on what's in me. It's based on what's in you. And it's based on a fact of the truth that has been displayed in history on a cross that says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I will go to the cross. I will die for you. You need to know right now, whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, the cross says that Jesus says, the Psalm 23 says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I am pursuing you, I am hot on your heels, I want you to know my goodness, I want you to know my mercy, I am going to forever live with you. And he says, I want you to know that I want to, I want to make your home my heart, I want to make my place where your heart can find a home. Forever. One of the neat things in this psalm is how it crescendos to an end. But as it ends with this idea of him coming behind us, it makes a statement right before it. My cup is filled to overflowing. And the reason he fills us to overflowing is because he wants us to be little shepherds that go around other people because they need, they need Jesus with flesh on them. They need people to come around who are so filled up and overflowing. As they overflow, they spill out into the lives of others so that they can feel the presence of God in their life. So I'm going to invite the team forward and I want to conclude by just challenging you to think about what it means for you to be filled to overflowing like the psalm says. God has blessed you to bless others. So I want you to consider having the back of others no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. I want you to think about goodness because goodness is actually a word that applies to the idea of someone's need. God sees a need and he has our back. 
And he follows us. Sometimes we receive a card from someone who loves us or we look at a sunset or we see a smile on a person's face or receive a gift because God is flowing and overflowing in them to us. So goodness, as he follows in hot pursuit and asks you to do the same for someone else, is is merely saying, well, is there a need and can I see that need? Mercy, on the other hand, it relates often to failure. It's the idea that when someone is in a place where they're discouraged, they're, they're down, they've blown it again, they don't need another judgment, they don't need another opinion, they just need your encouragement and your love and your mercy. Because you've chosen, like God has had your back and filled you up, that you will do the same for someone else. So I want you to think about something this week. I want you to take some steps with someone, okay? I want you to think about someone as you go through this week. So I'm going to ask you just kind of for a moment just to to kind of think about this and close your eyes if you need to and just concentrate for a moment. I want you to think about, have you ever struggled walking on an icy surface and someone comes along beside you and, and they grab you and they steady you? You ever had that experience where someone comes for just a few steps in your life and they walk with you to get you to a place because you had a need? I just want you to now take your, your eyes off yourself and just say, God, is there someone this week, maybe even now you bring it to my mind, who is in need, where I can commit to walk just a few paces with them, just to steady them, maybe to help meet a need, that I can maybe be like you and have their back. Just think about it. What are 100 steps, maybe going a little bit out of your way this week, when in a, in a week's time, you will take 52,500 steps. What's 100 steps? What's 100 steps to journey with someone else, to do good, to meet their need? When you consider over a lifetime, you have of 80 years, you will be taking 216,262,500 steps. What's 100 steps? Have someone's back this week. Just consider going out of your way. Filling someone else's empty cup. Maybe God is asking you to think about time. That's one that he calls me to. What would it mean for you to spend some time with someone this week? Looking for someone who maybe needs mercy. They're discouraged. They're in a place where they need to be encouraged. They've blown it and and they just need an arm around their shoulder. Again, I ask you to see someone, but you know, to see someone even through the week, it means you have to go slow enough because usually in our life, we kind of walk really fast, right? And we just don't have time for things. So tell God right now, if you would just tell God, God, I'm I, I asking you to help me in this, but I will slow down. And tell him you want to look for someone who needs mercy. You want to have someone's back who, who maybe has blown it or they feel defeated and they're in need of mercy and kindness. What will it take to give them 15 to 20 minutes? 15 to 20 minutes. They need to get out a card, write a note, lick the envelope, put a stamp on it, and take it to the mailbox. Or to take a phone and, and make a call. Or to maybe call someone and take even an hour of your week and and say, let's get a cup of coffee together. Because mercy takes time. And what is 15 minutes, and you know the song, out of 525,600 minutes in a week? We're in a year. 
say, God, I want to have someone's back this week. I'm going to give them maybe some steps. I'm going to give them some time. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask you to stand. And in a moment, we're going to sing this song, Coming Home, which we started this entire series because it's all about God saying, I'm making a home in you, and I'm bringing you to a home someday forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and cause us to hear your spirit, to walk in a calmness and a peace that, God, maybe even this week, just as you have had our back and and maybe that's all that you need to hear right now, that God has your back. And you need to really just take that in. Maybe it's not doing anything else, but just letting the love of God fill you full. For some of you, it may be that God has filled you full. You know that fullness. And he's calling you to open your eyes and to take a few minutes or to take a few steps. And, and to come around someone with goodness or to come around someone with mercy. Help them to feel the home of God in their hearts. God, we know that we are called to live with you in our hearts in our in, in a home that you have prepared in a home with you forever we thank you